Welcome into the Double Dribble Podcast. My name's Jordan Harper, and joined as always with me is Matthew Landry. Matthew, how you doing after that big win last night against LSU? Doing good. It's always fun to do one of these following a huge win. Huge overtime win at Georgia, and or at Georgia, and then a loss at Auburn um, this past Wednesday. And to follow it up with a huge win against number 25 LSU in Coleman Coliseum, 88-82. to This is a huge win for Alabama, just based on their tournament hopes, which seemed pretty bleak early on of SEC play. And it, it's right back there where they always seem to be at this time of year in February, is right on the bubble. And Joe Lenardi's latest release of bracket or the seed list on Bracketology, they have Alabama's the eighth team out. They actually have three SEC teams in the next four out, with it being Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Alabama. We're going to dive right into the Alabama-LSU game today. Um, Alabama wins 88-82. to Alabama led by as many as 18 points with 13 minutes left. And quite frankly, I thought Alabama just had it in hand. Um, LSU wasn't doing much offensively. They couldn't stop the dribble drive um, of Alabama, and Kyra Lewis ate them alive, kicking it out to John Petty and Jaden Shackelford. We'll get into the statistics in a moment, but Matthew, what did you see that Alabama did that just gave LSU fits on defense? Defensively, I mean, Herb, Herb Jones. That That's the answer, plain and simple. Herb makes the world a difference in this team. We saw some real defensive struggles in that stretch where he was out, especially against Arkansas and Tennessee. Guards struggled to stop ball. Uh, the help side wasn't great in those games. Herb Jones comes back against Auburn for LSU, and everything seems to be fixed. The defense is playing hard. The effort's there. They're talking on defense. They're boxing out. Herb's just the leader of this defense, and it seems like the guys really play harder and play a whole lot better as a team whenever he's out on the floor, which he, he guarded Emmett Williams a lot of the game. He gave Emmett some trouble. Uh, he helped keep Emmett Williams to 10 boards total, which is huge. Help keep him to only two offensive boards. Whenever he got switched on to Trendon or Skylar Mays or Javante Smart, he played great. And I mean, Herb, Herb made a world of difference for this team. I saw Herbert playing a lot of defense on Emmett Williams, and then he switched on to Trendon Watford when he really started got, getting going in the second half. And he even guarded some Skylar Mays with one hand. Skylar Mays is a quicker guard, but Herb Jones's length and athleticism counteracts his speed, and he did a great job on him. It didn't let Skylar get going until Skylar got going late when Herb was ultimately switching in and out on defense and offense, and he got loose some late in the second half. But Herb Jones, you're right, is the hero of this game. I never thought I'd say a hero only scores, you know, six points in a game, but that's exactly what he was with two blocks, a steal, 17 rebounds with essentially one hand as he played. He's a dominant left-handed player, and he had a cast on his left hand because he broke his wrist two and a half weeks ago. He's just a warrior, a competitor, and somebody that Nate Oates just absolutely loves, you know, honing the blue-collar mentality, hard hat type of game. Herb Jones with the six points. Two of them, you know we're going to touch on it. Two of the points came at the free throw line, shooting with his offhand, right-handed, albeit in a two-point game with a minute and a half left in the game. It was 77-75. to 75. Herb Jones got fouled after getting a rebound. 
It wasn't a two-shot foul. It was a one-and-one. If Herb Jones would have missed that first free throw, LSU would have had a chance with a minute and a half left to go down and tie or take the lead. That was a critical point in that game where you had a one-handed player with his offhand shooting free throws. And quite frankly, Matt, I thought he shot better right-handed than he did left-handed. What do you think? Yeah, I think he needs to start shooting right-handed from now on. I mean, that that second free throw was the prettiest free throw he's had in his three years at Alabama. Didn't take a dribble. Took took a little second to get the the ball resting on his palm very well. But you're right. That that was such a gutsy performance, and those two free throws were huge. As LSU never got within less than two after that. And another another star for Alabama was Kyra Lewis. He's had a fantastic week. I would be surprised if he's not named conference player player of the week. With a triple-double on the road at Auburn in an overtime loss, he comes back with 27 points on 10 of 18 shooting, 4 of 6 from 3. When he got in foul trouble with about six minutes left in the second half, and Alabama was up 13, I believe, Kyra Lewis had to sit down with his fourth foul. Alabama just lost it. They didn't have a ball handler. James Beadle Bolden, Alex Reese, John Petty, they all tried to handle the ball, and they kept turning it over. They had four turnovers in a two-and-a-half-minute span with Kyra Lewis out, and the lead got down all the way to three until Nate Oates took a timeout and ultimately put Kyra Lewis back in. So Kyra Lewis is this true driving force of this team. He's the floor general that Nate Oates needs, and Quite frankly, it's why he plays 40 minutes a game because you see what happens to Alabama when he's not on the floor. They just look discombobulated, and they have no identity on offense. Another star for Alabama was Jaden Shackelford. You're getting used to this name. Uh, he's only a freshman from Hesperia, California. He's probably the best freshman shooter that I've seen come through Alabama in pro- probably my lifetime. 26 points, 5 of 13 from 3, 9 of 18 overall from the field. What did you see from Kyra Lewis and Jaden Shackelford that really gave Skylar Mays, Javante Smart, and Trendon Watford a they, – they were a tough guard for them because they seemed to get be getting lost in help side defense or closing out on a rebound too hard. And either an offensive board came back to Galen Smith or Herb Jones, and they seemed to find them wide open for a three. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of the – I've noticed a few different times where Kyra would be handling the ball and we'd be setting screens to kind of get switches onto a Kyra versus Trennan matchup, which Kyra took full advantage of. Uh, Trennan's not a bad defender by any means, but he's not quick enough to stay in front of Kyra. And I, I said it after the Georgia game, and I'm going to say it again. It seems like Kyra finally has the mentality that we've been waiting on this season where he knows no one can stay in front of him. Kyra was attacking the rim at full speed. Probably should have shot more than five free throws, but he only got five. He made three of five. Uh, we finally saw the three ball fall efficiently, four of six from three. Uh, whenever Kyra hit those first couple threes, you could kind of see it in his eyes that he knew that this was about to be a big game. Then the second half, whenever he hits the three with, I think there was probably about seven or eight minutes left, you could just kind of tell that this game was about to get really going. We, You knew that LSU, I texted you at halftime telling you that I didn't feel safe with the lead still. I knew LSU was going to come swinging. They're a team that seems to do this every game, whether they're behind big or whether they're on top big. They find a way to make it a close game. Um, you know that, especially with Skylar Mays, he can get hot in an instant. Uh, but Kyra, he fought the entire game, even 
whenever he was in foul trouble with that third. Skylar Mays came down. He looked like he was about to have an easy layup. Kyra fouled. Ended up being costly since Kyra had to go out of the game and the offense kind of panicked without him in there. But whenever he came back in, that's whenever you knew Alabama was back in control. The defense couldn't stay in front of him, and if they slid over too much, he was able to find Shackelford or Reese or Petty for open shots. Um, Shaq, Shaq took advantage of it the most. He really played well, 15 points coming from beyond the arc. Um, attack, he also attacked very well. He would find the defenders out of help, and he would split the defense and get into the lane to get some easy looks. And Shaq played great. Kyra played great. Another guy that I thought was awesome was Alex Reese. You saw He only had five rebounds, but Alex finally got a little bit more physical than we've seen him in the past couple games. Boxed out really, really well to keep guys off the glass. Um, especially a big three with, I think, 40 seconds left where Kyra got blocked by Taylor. Uh, ball bounces to Reese. He fakes the pass. So I want to say it was Shaq. Javante Smart helped really quick to try to recover from the pass. Alex Reese was wide open for three to put Alabama ahead by, I think, four at that point. And that, that was what really saved the game. Reese played well. I thought as a team effort all around, they played great. And the unsung hero of this game that I feel like isn't getting enough attention, I put a tweet out about it, was Galen Smith. Galen had 10 points, six boards, four from being offensive, six of seven from the free throw line. I still can't believe that happened. <laughs> 37 Those offensive boards were great. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it's unbelievable. Didn't think that would ever happen in a game. Uh, but Galen, you know, he hit six or seven from the free throw line. His four offensive rebounds were huge. He got two in one possession and got fouled on the second one. And Galen started to kind of clap his hands and get hyped. I think there's only like two minutes left at that point. And Coleman Coliseum took on the energy that he had. That was one of the biggest games I've attended as a student at Alabama. And I was really proud of the fight of the team. They fought adversity well. Uh, I got outscored in the second half, but they built up a nice enough lead in the first half to take advantage and got the six-point win. Yeah, you touched on Galen Smith's rebounding, and two of the offensive rebounds you, you talked touched on when Darius Days ultimately fouled him, and I believe that ended up being Darius Day, the end of Darius Day's day, no pun intended, but he ultimately fouled out. And honestly, them being physical with Darius Day's on the on the offensive side really put him in a bind because he Darius Days when I've watched him in SEC play he struggles with two things and that's fouls and turnovers and those those two really reared the his ugly, the ugly head today or yesterday he had a rough game with only 6 points and he only played 14 minutes i mean that's a for a team that only plays 7 deep that's a big body to lose and a versatile player and get I'll credit to Alex Reese and Galen Smith and Herb Jones of playing more physical than they did against LSU in the 19-point um, defeat early on in this, earlier in SEC play against LSU. And you touched on Jaden Shackelford. He was one of the guys I thought that was trying to press too much when Kyra Lewis sat out and – I mean, give, give him some credit. He, he's, he doesn't play like a freshman. He does make mistakes. But you see a grad transfer senior, James Beetle Bolden, make mistakes as well. But you, you're not going to make a mistake or go mistakeless all, all throughout the game. And Jaden Shackelford is really aggressive. He ain't afraid to shoot. He ain't afraid to dribble drive, kick out, or go in for hard layup. I thought there was a couple layups that he, he got fouled on late in the game that weren't called, but – 
give him credit on being aggressive. And they've Nate Oates really got – he was as ecstatic and emotional as I've seen him since he's been at Alabama. He stated before the game that this is as big as it's going to get in terms of games for NCAA tournament. And he really coached like it. And he had all all kinds of passion, emotion. He was fist pumping after Herb Jones's free throws he made. Galen Smith's big offensive rebound. This team takes on an energy that he provides. And he he's just a great motivator, a great leader, and somebody that these kids play hard for. And that's ultimately what willed them to this win against LSU. And in years past, Alabama would have folded when LSU made that insane run at the end of the end of the second half. But this team, they fight and claw, man. They they keep they keep grinding when it gets tough. They may not win every game, but they're not going to be out hustled or out toughed. And that showed evident yesterday. Going through some of the the statistics from yesterday. Field goal percentage was about even. LSU and Bama finished with 43 and 42% respectively. I thought where the game was won was the rebounding. And Alabama didn't even win the rebounding battle, but they kept it within two. And they they actually tied LSU with 13 offensive rebounds apiece, which was totally different from the first meeting with LSU where they out-rebounded Alabama by 16 so we knew going in it was going to be a tough test to out-rebound LSU or to even stay close, but give them credit, they did, and got one of their big big men in foul trouble as well. So that was a huge part of the game, and also Alabama only getting not turned the ball over nine times against LSU. So that those were two big factors in Alabama pulling out the win yesterday. What are a couple key stats that you see that happened yesterday that really stand out to you in terms of what was successful for Alabama against maybe a weakness that LSU had? Yeah, you pointed out the two big ones. Keeping rebounding within two was massive. Um, We both talked about it last week and how that's a major key for this game was you can't get pounded on the glass again, especially offensively. Holding LSU to 13 offensive boards, where they got guys like various days, Emmett Williams, Trenton Wofford. It's not an easy task. They kept each of them to two each, which is huge. Marlon Taylor was actually their leading offensive rebounder with three. So being able to accomplish that was awesome. That was huge. It was big to see. The other one was turnovers, like you said. Having only nine turnovers as a team was awesome. Actually had less than LSU, who had 12, and that that's big. You always want to win the turnover battle. Um, 15 assists. To nine turnovers last night for Alabama, that's big. You're going to win a lot of games playing like that, especially against good teams like LSU. You can't have more turnovers than assists. Alabama's done a great job at that, especially as of late. They did great at that against Auburn. Alabama didn't turn the ball over against Auburn either, and they played absolutely great because of it. You're able to get much more in-rhythm shots. Alabama shot 37% from three, which is pretty good. To be able to shoot like that attests to the fact that they're able to throw pass the ball much better. The offense is running much smoother right now, and the offense looks really good right now. And that was that was the biggest two key stats that I took away from yesterday. One that we would, if we failed to mention, it would it would be a disgrace. Is LSU has the 14th ranked or 13th ranked SEC or three point defense in the SEC with teams shooting an astonishing 36 percent against them. So you knew something 
Alabama knew what they had to do to come in to win against LSU, and that shoot the three ball, something that LSU is just bad at defending. And Alabama succeeded. They shot 35 of them, made 13 of them, and shot 37% from the field. I mean, that's right about average of what teams shoot against LSU. Now, surprisingly, LSU made 11 of 27, which their bottom half of the league and three-pointers made and attempted. They don't attempt a whole lot, and they don't make a whole lot. But kind of a flip, flip of misfortune there for LSU against Alabama. But Alabama did a great job attacking, getting wide open looks. I mean, early on, there was three or four of them that were halfway down and out for Alabama. It could have been a whole lot worse in terms of – or a whole lot better in terms of Alabama making threes. But I thought Alabama did what they did well or did best, and that's shoot the three and make a high percentage of them. And ultimately, that's what – did LSU win? And a couple key statistics that I was I was researching and found was LSU's LSU and Alabama are the two high scoring teams in conference with Alabama Alabama's averaging eighty three points a game and LSU at eighty one. So it was no surprise that this was a high scoring game and both of them are the bottom two teams in defense, which is pretty pretty astonishing considering Alabama. You can see why they are last in defense and first in offense because they have the number three tempo in the country. But LSU honestly plays, you know, not fast, not slow. They're right there in the middle and in the ranked in the low 100s in terms of tempo. But LSU scores a lot of two-point baskets. I believe they're top 15 in the country in two-point percentage. But those were the two two key differences when I saw the disparity in the statistics where Alabama had to take advantage of, and they did, even with LSU shooting above average at the three-point line. So Alabama moves to 14-11, and 6-6 six and six in the SEC. They're in a three-way tie with Texas A&M and Tennessee, and according to the tiebreakers, Alabama would be the nine seed right now, playing number eight seed Tennessee in the SEC tournament. Now, obviously, that will change by the end of the season with six games to go. But Alabama has, in the updated net rankings, has a 35, ranked 35 in net, and they have a fifth-ranked strength of schedule. People wonder why Alabama's 14 and 11 and they have a net as high as they do. Well, it's because they have the fifth-ranked strength of schedule and the 34th-ranked non-conference strength of schedule. They've played one of the toughest schedules in the country, Sure, they have a lot of losses. They have a lot of close losses, but that's why. They go out and schedule tough competition. They may may, may lose some or more than they're supposed to, but that's that's what happens when you play tougher competition. And they're they're six and ten in quad one and quad two games. Not a great number, but not a bad number. It's kind of it's kind of what's keeping them on the bubble. Their record and their lack of key wins. They only have two quadrant one wins, both at home against LSU and Auburn. And both of those are hovering right around the the area where they could fall out to be in a quad two win if they keep losing some. Looking ahead to their future schedule, they they have Texas A&M, Texas A&M at home on Wednesday. And Texas A&M, surprisingly, a six and six in the SEC, but I'm I'm really not sure how they've done it. I haven't watched a whole lot of them this year. I've watched a couple games. I watched them beat Tennessee on the road, which was pretty impressive. And 
but I've seen them get blown out several times at Georgia, even home against Florida, and at South Carolina. Like They're just not that impressive when you watch them and have some pretty bad losses. But what have you seen, if anything, from Texas A&M that could cause a threat to Alabama, and what do they Alabama need to do to knock off the Aggies? Yeah, like you said, I'm not entirely sure how A&M is 6-6 six and six in conference play. Their numbers aren't extremely impressive. They're only averaging 61 points a game, holding teams to 64% or 64 points a game. They're only shooting 38.8% from the field, so they're not playing very efficiently. Uh, Buzz is a great coach. They're playing slow. They're trying to play to their strengths. Um, but the, the biggest thing that Alabama's going to have to do is they're going to have to box out Josh Nebo. Nebo's a big guy. Uh, he's strong. He's athletic. He's averaging two blocks a game. Six and a half boards. Uh, he's their leading scorer at 11.4 points a game, shooting 67% from the field. Uh, he wants to get around the rim. He wants dunks. He wants post hooks. Uh, just slowing him down. Javion Davis, uh, Galen Smith, going to have to play big against him, play strong, not jump. Um, other than that, you know, Savion Flagg's a good player. Uh, he's averaging two and a half assists a game, leading the team there. He's only averaging 9.7 points a game, which is the second highest on the team. Nebo is the only player averaging double figures. Uh, but Savion Flagg can do a little bit of everything. He's a good passer, good defender. He can score. He can rebound. He can do a little bit of it all. Wendell Mitchell could cause some problems as he's leading their team in steals at 1.4. He's a naggy defender. He'll jump passing lanes. He can pick pockets. He's solid player all around. Um, J.J. Chandler's back from last year. He's someone who's kind of struggled shooting the ball this year, but you can't leave him open. He's capable of getting hot any given game. We've seen that from him over the past couple of years. Um, I, I don't see a lot to worry about for Alabama with this team. They've got to box out Josh Nebo, got to box out Emmanuel Miller. Um, but other than that, if Alabama can control the glass, like they're more than capable of in this game. If they can force Texas A&M to play their tempo and speed them up, like they've done a good job doing to opposing teams, I think Alabama should handle A&M. Um, Ken Palm actually predicts an Alabama win, 77-64. to 64. Doesn't see it being much of a test for the Tide. I don't think it should be much of a test, but we've seen in past years how these letdown games can affect teams, especially Alabama. Um, last time they were in a situation like this, though, they beat Missouri by 14 points in a potential letdown game. So this, this is a good opportunity for the Tide. It's a game they can't lose to keep tournament hopes alive. But I, I don't see this being much of a tough task for Alabama in this one. Yeah, this would be a detrimental loss if Alabama were to lose this one. And I'm, I'm right there with you just looking at the numbers. I don't see how Alabama can lose this unless they just come out ice cold and Texas A&M shoots better than they have all season. Alabama's the second leading scoring team in the country. Who would have thought that Alabama would be the second-leading scoring team in the country after watching the past eight years with Avery Johnson and Anthony Grant scoring you know, at most 70 points a game? And, I mean, they're behind Gonzaga, which they're not going to catch that powerhouse scoring 88 points a game. But Alabama scoring 83 points a game compared to Texas a what, 61, you said? 63? Uh, it is at 61.2. That's a 22-point difference. Even though uh, Alabama's one of the worst defensive teams in the country, Texas A&M just doesn't seem to have the shooters that's going to really be able to exploit that. 
Now, if they play, they were playing a team that, that had good knockdown shooters, I would be a little bit more worried. Um, but it seems like they get a lot of their points in the paint. And if Alabama can handle LSU in, in the paint like they did yesterday at home, I believe that they should be able to take care of the Texas A&M Aggies. Texas A&M comes in at as an awful net ranking of 100, I believe it's 132. So this would be a detrimental loss at home. So this is a game where Alabama's going to have to get up for. Crowd needs to be engaged like they were against LSU and prevent a possible letdown. We're going to tramp, swap over to a little bit of bracketology to end our show today. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, Alabama comes in as the number eight team out of the tournament with Joe Lenardi's latest seed list he, he released today. Now, I do not see... Alabama finishing to where some of these websites think around 17 wins, possibly 18 I could see. But I think right now, I posted a tweet earlier today, if you want to follow me at at HarperNation24 and follow Matt at at Landry1117. We pump out great content when it comes to bracketology, where Alabama stands in the latest um, bracketology situations compare net rankings and give out, you know, what percentages of making the tournament according to team rankings, who ends up, who is a very good analytical website of predicting games. And to give you a brief rundown of how their percentages work is that they predict according to Ken Palm percentages of what Ken Palm predicts games to end up as, like you said, like Matt said earlier, that predicts Alabama to win against A&M 77 to 63 so they take Ken Palm's predictions on the games and they put them into a system and they see what their overall record is, where they would sit, base it off the net, everything included, and give them a percentage of making the tournament. And after their predictions after yesterday, they have Alabama at 90% of making the tournament. They were at 77% before the game. And they're at 90% now. The interesting part is it jumped up a lot from 83% to 94% of making it in with 18 wins. Matt and I have been, you know, pretty adamant that they they needed 19 to win make it in, but I'm not saying 18 would get them in, but it would put them right on the cut line. It would all depend on the committee and to be honest, if they look at the peripherals of the net strength of schedule I wouldn't bet against Alabama making it with 18 wins, but 19 wins will remain the magic number for Alabama to make the tournament. They're at 99% chance to make it at that number. Looking ahead to the rest of their schedule, they're going to be favored in every game except for probably one against at Mississippi State, where I would say they're probably around a one to two point underdog. It won't it won't be much. Um, I could even see a pick'em game. But at Mississippi on Saturday and at Mississippi State next Tuesday, those are two marquee games right there. They have to at least split those, preferably win at Ole Miss. And if you have to lose one of those games, it would be preferred to be Mississippi State, who would be a pretty quality loss. Then they have South Carolina and Vanderbilt at home, which are two very winnable games considering South Carolina struggles on the road. And Vanderbilt is albeit they're playing better. They got blown out by Florida yesterday, but it's the worst team in the conference. You have to take care of business at home. 
And then the final game could decide, depending on what the record is, how where Alabama will stand going to the SEC tournament at Missouri, which is obviously a, a big game, very winnable game. Missouri did beat Auburn yesterday, even without Isaac Okoro. But, I mean, it, it's laid there on a platter for them, Matt. I mean, we've seen it over and over the past few years. Alabama has their destiny in their hands. Now, will the February curse continue? Or will they take advantage of controlling their own destiny and choose a different path? What, what do you think? I think this February laid out a little bit easier than games in the past. Uh, it's definitely not easy, though. Like you said, the two Mississippi schools on the road are not going to be easy tasks. Uh, looking at the team sheet, there's four quad one and two games left. One quad one being Mississippi State, and then three quad two games being hosting South Carolina, who's 64 in the net, traveling to Ole Miss, who's at 81, and traveling to Missouri, who's at 87. So with those four games, it, it would be absolutely fantastic to go three and one there. If you go three and one there and you beat A&M and Vanderbilt, getting to 19 wins like we've talked about, you're a lock for the tournament. At that point, if you go three and one in these four quad one two games remaining, if my math's correct, I think they'd have nine quad one and two wins at that point. I think they'd be sitting around nine and eleven or something like that, which as a bubble team is that's going to get you in, especially mm-hmm. playing the brand of basketball Alabama's playing, especially with the strength of schedule being four, like Jordan mentioned, and the. They've got it laid out for them where they kind of control their destiny to get in at this point. It obviously depends on bid thieves and conference tournaments and with the rest of the bubble and how they perform. But Alabama's got a great opportunity ahead of them. Just got to take advantage. Uh, Like Jordan said, splitting with the two Mississippi schools would be huge. Um, Hosting South Carolina, that's a big one. Uh, They do struggle on the road, but that's a game Alabama can't drop. Uh, looking forward, I think Alabama goes five and one with the loss of Mississippi State. Um, and I, I do think that Ole Miss is not going to be an easy one. At Missouri is not going to be an easy one. Um, but uh, Alabama can play on the road. This this brand of basketball is a lot better than the past few years. I don't go into road games just assuming we're going to lose like I have in the past. Um, as long as the defensive effort stays there, the rebounding effort stays there, shots are going to fall and shots aren't going to fall on certain nights. But if you play hard on defense and you crash the boards, you're going to have a shot against anybody that you play. So as long as the effort stays where it's been the last two games, I, I think Alabama's got a really good shot going forward. And the team knows what's on the line. Oates knows what's on the line. He's instilled it into the guys that they know that they're, they're not in the tournament right now, but they're, they're in a good position where they just got to keep fighting, keep grinding, and keep getting out some wins. So I think Alabama's in a good position moving forward. Five wins, you're in. Four, and you're on the cut line. So I'm, I'm interested to see what how the team responds this week with a must-win, can't-drop game against A&M and a win that would help you out a lot against Ole Miss on the road. Yeah, to close, I, I, I really am interested in seeing how they finish against or play against Texas A&M just to see how dialed in they are. If they come out just – you know, pedal to the metal, and they take care of business, win a double-digit game, never in, never in doubt. That's huge for their confidence and just shows where they are mentally heading into this stretch run because they can't afford to drop one at home. Everybody knows that. They go 3-0. That, that gives them the 17 wins. They still need one to two more, and they have three very winnable games on the road. And 
I, I could see them winning all three, but unfortunately I could also see them losing all three, especially if Bryn Tyree gets hot at the tad pad and Missouri. I mean, they shot very well. Drew Smith's playing very well. Pinson. And, I mean, they're not easy games. Like you said, they, they really need to win at least one of the three road games, preferably two, to have a bid locked up going into the SEC tournament. That's all we have today. Look for another podcast after the Texas A&M game on Wednesday. should be posted by Thursday morning. And once again, my name's Jordan Harper. Join with me, as always, is Matthew Landry. And until next time on the Double Dribble Podcast, adios.